Thank you for listening to the Resources for Integrated Care podcast series, Emergency Preparedness Planning for Persons with Disabilities. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on August 24, 2022. In this podcast, Sarah Fitzwater, the Director of Clinical Operations at iCircle in New York, and Samantha Bartz, the Director of Clinical Services at iCircle in New York, discuss developing person-centered emergency preparedness plans. iCircle is a nonprofit managed care organization in New York, and your first thought when you hear New York is probably that big city with lots of lights when in rear of the rural areas. We cover 30 counties, throughout the state, and our agency is relatively small. We actually have 163 employees. With, our, with this team, we support 3,500 members throughout the state, and the majority of them are duly eligible, and that leaves only a small number that are only fee-for-service Medicaid. We assure that our members access to personalized, life-enriching hometown care for their health care and social support needs. Being a smaller agency really allows us to work closely with our members and build unique relationships and perspectives. We center the work we do on our members and we have a very robust person-centered service planning process. You can say that we eat, sleep, and breathe person-centered concepts, planning, and actions. And we really pride ourselves on recognizing that our members are going to be the experts on what they need, and it's our role to help support them. So when we're talking about their plans, we're always including the support people that they choose to help them through this process. We look at their person-centered plan at a minimum every six months. But as I mentioned, we have a very specialized relationship between our care managers and our members. A lot of our members have actually been with their care managers for about six years, so you can appreciate that relationship that they've built and how that helps to stay on top of what what they need in creating and updating their person-centered service plan. We do do this on a more frequent basis, so we have monthly contact with them, and it is a breathing, living, changing document that gives us the ability to change it when they call us and say, X, Y, and Z changed in my life, I would like to make this adjustment or I'm going to need more help in these areas. We spend time going through a risk assessment, which includes several key variables, including fire safety and evacuation, looking at their chronic medical conditions, looking at how they're able to travel. Is this something that they can do independently or do they need more support? What can we do to kind of get through the barriers that may interfere with their ability to travel? their level of safety awareness, and natural disaster preparation. We're constantly focusing on safety. That starts from the time that they enroll with us, and it moves through their active enrollment with us. We're doing our best to plan for as many what-ifs as possible, and again, just really using our relationships to go through each of these key areas in their risk assessments. Our determination and application of our risk score, it really comes down to being very specific with the questions that you're asking the member. So some of the things that we consider when determining our risk score are things like their ambulatory status, 
are they ambulatory? Are they able to use a cane or walker? Or do they rely on a wheelchair for uh, mobility? And do they have an ability to exit their home in that wheelchair? Do they have a ramp or do they require somebody to assist them out of the home? Can they self-propel that wheelchair? Some people still rely on somebody else to assist them with that. And do they have somebody available at all times to help them with that? Other things we consider are life-sustaining medications or equipment. Does the person require tube feeding or suctioning or other equipment that relies on electricity or a medication that maybe needs to be refrigerated? Things that you want to be very specific with that member to know what their needs are. Something else is cognition. So are they able to even identify that there's an emergency going on? Can they summon help appropriately? Or do they have somebody who is able to provide that oversight and supervision for safety changes in the home? Uh, medical fragility, again, looking at their complex medical needs. Do they have uh, wound care needs or other long-term support needs? And looking at the longevity of different emergency situations. Is it a short-term situation where they only need somebody available to help analyzing any gaps that you have there? Uh, looking at other social supports that may not be a person. Are they able to get food delivery or other community resources that that, that person might have available to them? And this may seem obvious, but application of that risk score is prioritizing those people that you are reaching out to first are those who are at highest risk. So that's going to be fluctuating all the time and should be evaluated frequently based on changes within that member that you are talking about with them and evaluating and updating that emergency plan and targeting those who have higher risk as reviewing that emergency plan more often with them. Our emergency preparedness plan is part of the person-centered service plan that Sarah man mentioned earlier. Um, our plan includes our operating protocol. So this is a very robust document that we review annually as an interdisciplinary team with our medical director, our chief medical officer, utilization, quality assurance, our clinical team. We all work very closely on that plan to incorporate anything that we've learned over the year or different things that we may have experienced that could play into this operating protocol. We also have our member risk classification system. So that is based on our UAS New York assessment. So that's a standardized functional and environmental assessment that we do on our members at least annually or any time that they've had a change in condition. We also have that risk score that we developed based on uh, the factors that I was mentioning the slide before and that backup plan. So that backup plan is, of course, going to really play into their safety planning. If they don't have a very robust backup plan, they may be at higher risk when an emergency does happen. We also use our social determinants of health assessment to assess any potential gaps or increased risk for our members. So things like food insecurity or Housing risk, we want to look at gaps that they may have because that can be exacerbated in, a, in an emergency situation. We also keep a list of telephone numbers for emergencies, which we update regularly for all of the counties that we cover, and it covers a wide variety of different emergency services. And for some of our members, we do even register them with local utility companies or emergency services based on their needs. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare-Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. 
MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care. You can also find resources for integrated care on LinkedIn to stay up to date with our recent products and technical assistance.